Hey, we want to go fairly quickly today. We want to go fairly quickly because we have a lot to cover and I want to give you some time to work too. The other reason we want to go quickly is so you don't end up getting bored. Now, first, we're kind of jumping a few years. We're skipping over the Articles of Confederation and the establishment of the Constitution. Gasp. Oh, why would we do such a thing? Simple. We have lost two days out of this trimester. Something has to give. And plus, we have the entire last week that we lose for seniors. So something has to give. Something has to, has to be skipped. Why do I choose those things? Because they get covered really, really well in political science, especially if you have concurrent enrollment political science, which has just the greatest teacher. <laughs> it is me. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just kidding about that part. But, but it gets covered really well. So the reason we're skipping it is not because I don't think it's important. It's because it's something that you get another time to. It's also something that we will revisit a number of times. We'll come back to it and be like, okay, this is this and this is that. And so it's not something that just gets ignored. Um, obviously, the Constitution weaves through everything else that we do. So we are going to George Washington. You recognize him there, looking all kind of Georgie. Washington was the first real president. When I say the first real president, there were sort of leaders under the Articles of Confederation. In a trivia game, you could argue that because John Hancock was the president of the Continental Congress when they declared independence that he was the first president. But that, that kind of reasoning is just stupid, and it only works in a trivia game. Um, and then only if you're losing. Uh, so George Washington pops up, and he is the first commander-in-chief. His job is to set precedents. And so the first question I've asked you is, what is a precedent? It is the way things are, so they're more likely to be repeated another time. So like when you c come into class the very first day, you're looking for precedents. You're looking to see, oh, is Mr. Crawford going to, you know, what's he like? Is he a big jerk? Yes. Is he going to be mean? Only to some people. Uh, you know, how hard is the work? It's terrible. Right? This is what you're looking for. You're all laughing. You're like, no. Except for one of you is like nodding. Yes, all of those things are true. So the president sets up, it's this way the first time, so it's going to be this way in the future. This is honestly why in one of my other classes I had to stop this kid and be like, hey, look, you're not acting that way in my class. Uh, this is not the way it's going to go, because I'm always scared it's going to be a precedent. I, you, we, can't, we can't have this kind of thing. Okay, so what precedents does he set? Some of them are major, some of them are minor. One of them, like, they come to him, what, what do you want to be called? They had lots of ideas. One of them was his eminence. Another was his high eminence. Uh, one was the defender of our liberties, which sounds cool. Washington's like, no, Mr. President is fine. 
that actually means quite a bit if you think about it. We call the president just Mr. President. Uh, we have the titles and the honors, but the president is just the highest ranking of all the public servants. The ruler of the United States is we the people. What other precedents does he set? Well, he is the commander-in-chief, and he is a military veteran, so by rights he could wear his uniform, but he says, no, the military has to be under the control of the civilians. The civilians have to be in charge. So even when a president used to serve in the military, they wear a suit instead of their military uniform, and that stayed true forever. Dwight Eisenhower... Uh, Ronald Reagan served in the military. Um, Theodore Roosevelt, all of them, they wear their civilian clothes because it's civilians that do it. They do salute the Marines even if they're holding their dog. Um, that's actually a precedent set by Ronald Reagan because he thought it was cool. But now they do it. I just love that picture of him like trying to salute while he's holding his dog. It makes me happy. It reminds me the president's a person, too. Right? And then we see another precedent Washington sets is the cabinet. They hadn't decided how the day-to-day -day functioning of the government works. He's the guy who had to set that up. Alexander Hamilton helped him a lot. Of course, even calling the cabinet members the secretary of blah, blah, blah. Right? So there's President Trump with his cabinet. Or down here at the bottom, you see... Uh, FDR, he ran for four terms. Every other president only served two. Now it's codified. Now it's in the Constitution. But for a long time, it was just the tradition, the precedent set by Washington that you retire after two, two terms. I almost said two years, and that, that would be bad. Eight years. Now, it is during Washington that they start to divide into political parties, and it has to do with these two dudes. Who are they? Jefferson, good, and? Hamilton. Good, yes, Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson. Here's, so Hamilton thought we needed a strong federal government, and Jefferson thought that we needed a really weak central government and we needed the states to be more in charge. And so they're going to fight about this. So we have the Federalists with Hamilton and we have the Democratic Republicans with, with Jefferson. They're going to argue, which, by the way, which political party was Washington? Hey, he didn't have one. Whoever said it, good job. Yes. Washington had no political party, so, but these guys start to split into political parties, and they're really nasty about it. So Hamilton takes, he goes to a newspaperman, and he says, hey, I want you to print all the stuff that's pro-federalist, and if you do this, I will give you the government printing contracts. Anything the United States government prints will let you print so you can make money. Now this would be illegal. Uh, Jefferson, not to be outdone, he goes to a different newspaperman and he says, if you print all the good Democratic Republican stuff, I will make you my translator from French, which is, Jefferson spoke fluent French. He lived in France for a long time. He was the ambassador to France. He did not need a translator. So everyone knew this was bogus. That would also be illegal, by the way, now. Not translating from French, but hiring someone and pretending to give them a different job. Um, but back then it wasn't. 
And so they both do this. So they start calling each other names and things in the papers. Now, who wins, Hamilton or Jefferson? Jefferson, because what happens to Hamilton? Yeah, two big mistakes. Oh, first, I forgot this. Sorry, sorry, sorry. This is from Washington's farewell address. We're going to see how he feels about political parties. So just read that and answer that question. How does Washington feel about political parties? Feel free to talk to your neighbor. I like the words that you, you guys are catching. You're thinking like historians here. What are the words that stand out to you? Unjust dominion. Oh, he's accusing political parties of becoming like King George. Uh, right there, cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled. Those are not compliments. Usurp for themselves the reins of government. If you're not familiar with the word usurp, it means to take power unjustly and immorally. Yeah, great, Kaylee. Yeah, destroying afterwards the very engines that have lifted them up. So they get power and then they use that power to solidify their power by destroying the means that other people could take to get power. Mm. So Washington, pro-political party or anti-political party? Anti-political party. Okay, now Hamilton goes out. He makes two big mistakes. The first one, there was this lady. He had an affair with her. Her husband found out and started to extort money from him, threatened to go public with it if he didn't pay money. So Hamilton kept paying him money. Um, he got caught because you always get caught. You can't hide stuff in a, in a free country. You will get caught. So Hamilton gets caught. Um, and they accuse him of taking public money, taking money from the treasury to pay. He's like, I never took money from the treasury to pay. So he publishes this pamphlet where he details the affair and explains where he got the money. This does not save his political career. It saves some of his reputation and ruins some of it, hurts his marriage severely. We don't know everything about how his wife reacted. We do know that she burned all of the love letters that he'd written to her. Um, we also know that that makes a good song if Lin-Manuel Miranda writes about it turns out um, it's like the best song in the play except for you'll be back <laughs> um, and then Hamilton has trouble getting along with his neighbors he is very smart and like some very smart people he just always assumes he's the smartest uh, Aaron Burr is not a fan so you see Aaron Burr here in the foreground wearing black shooting Hamilton 
They got in an argument. Argument turns into a duel. Duel turns into Hamilton's death. It is true, we don't know what Hamilton was thinking. It's really, his actions are really ambiguous. They're really confusing. He did wear his glasses that day, um, which he needed to see distance. So did he wear his glasses because, so he could see and take better aim? Uh, but then he shoots in the air. He did literally throw away his shot. So um, did he, was that a last minute decision? We can't know because he never wrote anything else. He died. Um, if there's a moral to this story, it's control yourself. Don't get angry and don't duel people. But that's hopefully not a lesson that, you, that last part hopefully isn't a lesson that you need. Right? You're not dueling each other, are you? <sighs> Can you snack him? You also wrote the same thing? <sighs> dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Actually, though, that does bring... I know we're, we're all kidding here, but that brings up a good point. What happens to Aaron Burr? How's he remembered? What's the historic memory of Aaron Burr? Is he the good guy or the bad guy? Oh, he's remembered as the bad guy, right? Right? He is not remembered well. This is also the end of Burr's political career. So, yeah, control your temper. Hey, so who replaces Hamilton to fight with Jefferson? Because Jefferson likes fighting with people, apparently. The answer is John Adams. John Adams is a genius. John Adams was one of the primary pushers for American independence. John Adams was a fair-minded person. He is the one who defended the British soldiers after the Boston Massacre as their lawyer. Uh, John Adams, he was on the committee to write the Declaration of Independence. Like, this dude is an impressive dude. I like John Adams. My youngest son's middle name is Adam, partly after John Adams. He was a terrible president. Okay? So, like, I like this guy. I'm a John Adams fan. He was an awful president. He's one of the founding fathers. He was involved in the Constitution. He really believed in rights and liberty. But when he's in charge... He signs the alien or supports the Alien and Sedition Acts. He makes it so that you can't criticize the president. Right? The First Amendment is less than 20 years old. And they're already, some of the people who wrote it are already overturning it because they don't think the president should be quit criticized. So this is the biggest thing John, John Adams is remembered for. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I would, there's a great quote I have from uh, Theodore Roosevelt that I would like to hang on my wall and put the date on it because I think it's applicable no matter who's the president. Um, Actually, you know what? I'm going to show it to you. 
because I likes it. always worry when someone opens the door then immediately closes it like what nefarious stuff are you gonna do I love this quote because I think it's true the end there to announce that there must be no criticism of the president or that we are to stand by the president right or wrong is not only unpatriotic and servile but is morally treasonable to the american public nothing but the truth should be spoken about him or anyone else there you go but they didn't go for that kind of thing back in adam's day so they passed this thing now What's important here is then Adams and Jefferson go up against each other. The election of 1800. This is one of the most vitriolic and hate-filled elections in American history. They called each other names. Uh, Adams kept, there were rumors that Jefferson was part native. And now we're like, oh, cool, you're, you're half indigenous. That's awesome. Uh, back then, that was not a good thing. Thing. They didn't view that as a good thing. Uh, and so Adams kept bringing this up again and again. Um, he saw Jefferson as lawless. He kept arguing that. The newspaperman who worked for Adams argued that if Jefferson was elected, there would be open rape practiced in the streets. Like, seriously, this is what, this is what they said. Um, where Jefferson turned back to Adams and he's like, oh no. He's trying to restore the monarchy and establish himself as King John. Um, he, uh, Adam's daughter dated a son of King George. Uh, they, were, they were interested in each other. I don't remember how that turned out because I don't really care. But back then it was super scandalous. And Jefferson was like, he's trying to bring the monarchy back and marry his daughter to a son of King George. How dare they? So... This super nasty, super nasty election. Jefferson wins. And so, because Jefferson saw Adams as going, taking the country in the wrong direction. What Jefferson believes about his presidency is that it's going to be his special job to restore the republic. To take us back to the glory days. Here we are, country's 20 years old, and we're already like... Uh, things are going downhill. We got to go back, make America great again. That is, if you want to run for president, no campaign slogan has ever been more effective than some form of let's go back to the way things were. That is just, that is a winning campaign strategy. Uh, so Jefferson sees himself as restoring the republic, going back to the way things need to be. Here's the problem. Can Jefferson stand up for what he believes in when he has a great opportunity. 
So this dude named Napoleon Bonaparte was trying to take over Europe, and he was being really successful at it. But he was running low on money. And it just so happened that France owned this big chunk of land. You see it there? Called Louisiana. Now, we have a state called Louisiana, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that state and like half of the other states. Or quite literally, about a third of them. So, Napoleon approaches Jefferson and says, Hey, Tom, got this land. Sell it to you for cheap. And Jefferson has to make a decision. The Constitution never says the president can buy land. And so Jefferson's like, I don't believe I have the authority to do this. On the other hand, it's so cheap. And look, we could move farther west. This would be great for us. But on the other hand, I don't think I should do this. This violates my principles. But on the other hand, it's really cheap. Oh, it's so easy. He's like, what do I do? What do I do? Oh, I know. Yeah, we're, we're never going to find out. Um, so he buys it, right? He buys it for really cheap, and you're going to cross question seven off. Yep, cross seven out. You're going to buy it really for cheap. Now, I mean, look how big this sucker is. They didn't really know what was there. And they've just bought all this land. They want to find out what, what all is entailed in this sucker. And so Jefferson goes to a man he knows, one of the people that works for him, a dude named Meriwether Lewis. Meriwether Lewis is pretty competent. He's scientifically minded like Jefferson is. And he decides they're going to send a scientific expedition. Meriwether Lewis gets a dude he knows named William Clark. And together they head off into the Louisiana Territory to find out what's there. Now, I ask you, what's their goal? We could see a little bit of it in these pictures. So first, just see that boat. Isn't that cool? You just, I, I had to put the boat somewhere so you could see what it looks like, so you're picturing the boat accurately tomorrow. Then on the right top, that's the Missouri River. So you notice, this is, this is a good-sized river. You can sail a boat up this sucker. Uh, on the bottom is the Columbia River, which goes between Oregon and Washington. They knew the Columbia River exited somewhere. Well, they knew where it exited. They knew the Missouri River was heading up into the mountains. They were hoping that they came close. Like maybe they could just trek over a mountain, be like, okay, we're at the end of the Missouri, you know, walking over this mountain, maybe even build a canal. Oh, the Columbia, and then go down that one. That's what they were hoping for. Of course, that's not the way it works, right? There's like a whole state in between the two, like a Western state, not one of those little sissy Eastern ones. So it's not going to work out, but that's what they want. So one goal is to find a way to get there, uh, find a way to go west, to get to the Pacific. Second, the United States just bought all this land, and just like we learned before, tons of people live there. So Jefferson wants them to go kind of catalog the tribes, 
build a relationship with them, open up trade, and of course let them know that we own their land and we can do whatever we want with it. So there's some like positive there and some kind of we're in charge. So he sends Lewis and Clark, just side note, the official name of this group is the Core of Discovery. While we're on names, that lady of the right, who is she? Not Sacagawea? Here's, here's your random historical information that does not matter. Like, I will never grade you on something like this. But did you know spelling wasn't actually standardized till the late 1800s? Mid to late 1800s, this dude named Webster went around. He had this dictionary. And he's like, you should spell things the way I say they should be spelled. I kid you not. This is kind of the way it, I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, of course, but it's kind of the way it went down. Before that, people just spelled it however it sounded. So when Lewis wrote his journal in 1804 and 1805, he wrote everything phonetically. So it's actually pronounced Sacagawea. Do we really care? No. No, I, maybe she does, but she's probably not going to hunt you down. I don't know, though. She has mad skills, so maybe she will. So there's your random information for today. So why are we going to spend, we're going to spend a couple days on Lewis and Clark. How come? Uh, I like it. That's true. That is really true. It's a great adventure story, and it's fun to teach about. So I'm not going to de deny, I will not deny that. I, I could have spent the time and given you the same skills from like analyzing the Reynolds pamphlet, but I find it depressing. <laughs> Super depressing. Um, we've got some great primary documents. We have both Lewis's journal and Clark's journal and a bunch of the other people who went on the expedition. We have what they wrote about it too and some of the people they met. We know exactly what they took with them on their expedition. We know exactly where they went. They're historically significant. They did the first map. Uh, most of the mountain men that came west followed some form of Lewis and Clark's map including Jim Bridger, the dude who explored this territory, John C. Fremont, they used Lewis's map. If they hadn't had that, they wouldn't have ended up here. Jim Bridger's the dude who showed Brigham Young where the Salt Lake Valley was on a map. But get it? So significance, hugely significant. So we're going to be able to practice these skills with an entertaining story. Yes, ma'am. Hold that thought for a sec. Um, the other thing is it's a story that I know you didn't get because I know the other teachers don't teach it. Okay, so question was what's nine? Oh, what names apply? The Corps of Discovery or the Lewis and Clark Expedition. Okay, we are almost done. Then we can move on. I have, the first thing I'm going to have you do is I've given you, I think it's four documents about Lewis and Clark. So not that many, not that hard, not that long, short, simple, some are secondary, some are primary. 
But uh, what I want you to do is practice asking good historical questions. Let's talk briefly about what a good historical question is. First, basic questions like who, what, when, where, and why. You learned how to ask those questions from like your eighth grade history teacher, right? Or your elementary teacher. Those are good questions to give you background and context. Why are they not good questions in this class? Yeah, most of the time you know those. They're short and they're simple and they're easy to answer. It just gives you the surface level stuff. We want to go deeper than that. And now, sometimes the deeper questions are hidden in these. So like my question that I asked was, who was Shoreland Evans? But that wasn't really my question, was it? What was my real question? What was Shoreland Evans like that made him so important that they dedicated that headstone to him? What did he have to do with Box Elder High School, right? It was deeper than just, who was Shoreland Evans? Because that's a, that's a sentence. Sherlyn Evans was a student at Box Elder High School who died playing football. Who cares? You get into the detail, and that's when things start to matter and when people start to care. Okay, so there's four broad categories. Four broad categories, and then I've given you some specific question samples. So the first one is how are things the same and how do they change over time? So you're here in class with a teacher telling you, giving you instructions. The Harappans did classes like this. The Egyptians did classes like this. The Greeks did classes like this. There's a lot of staying the same there. There's a lot of change too, though. I mean, like the Harappans did not use computers. If your parents came to my history class, they'd be really surprised that you have fewer dates to memorize. To memorized. Mm, they'd probably also be surprised by my bad grammar. Um, they might be surprised at just how deep you guys get sometimes. We tend, they learned at a surface. I know because I'm their age for most of them. They learned at the surface level. You guys learn fewer things at the surface level. So in terms of number of things covered, you don't learn as much. But in terms of knowing them deeper and more thoroughly, you know way more. It's a different approach. So there's a change. And again, I gave you some questions here, the kinds of questions that they might ask. What's the same? How, how is it different? Why is it different? See how those are deeper than the, just the who, what, when, where, why? Second. What caused this? I have a note down at the bottom. Everyone lives in the present. No one got up one day and is like, gee, it's quaint here living in the past. Right? Everyone lives in the present, so they don't know how their actions are going to work out. Seniors, you know exactly what I mean. Because you're starting to build your lives and think, oh, crap, you know, where I go to school, this is going to impact me forever. What if the person I was going to meet to be my spouse is going to some other school? What do I do? Right? It starts to cause you panic. Cause and effect. Why? How did one thing lead to another? 
What, what motivates people to do what they do? Third is perspective. How do they see things? Why do they see things that way? What impact does their perspective have? What changes their perspective? We live in a time of changing perspectives. That becomes interesting. Last one is significance. We've talked about this before. Why does like Lewis and Clark matter? Okay, so what are they again? Give them to me. Continuity and change over time, then? Cause and effect, then? Perspective, then? Significance. So, what I'm going to have you do is I have this lovely assignment for you where you could practice this. I think it'll take you about 10 minutes, I mean 20 minutes. I am aware that you have 10 minutes left of class. So, I will of course give you some time tomorrow. So what you're going to do is you're going to read these articles. Now this first one is dumb, so I'll open it for you and show you. We're in Lewis and Clark. If you scroll down here to where it says Jefferson's instructions, see where it says read the transcript? You want to read that transcript. There's the beginning bit. It's not very long, really. It looks longer than it is. Oh, see? just ends there kind of scan it through so you're gonna come up with a historical question a good historical question read the introduction and come up with something you'd like to see answered in the documents then give me the answer what is it again look back through these questions you just wrote down think it through don't do something simple who was Meriwether Lewis it's not a good question. Why did Jefferson trust Lewis with this expedition? Which is really a deeper level of who was Meriwether Lewis. That's a good question. Does that make sense? You give me the answer and you're gonna give me like a quote. That's what the defense is. Now, last thing. Tools, citations, I already put the citations in for you. I love you too. Go to work. <laughs>